0: certainly is a joy to be with you tonight. I appreciate the invitation. appreciate the opportunity to be a part of this gospel meeting. I certainly pray for this week for you all. I hope that much success is done. Um, As Greg said earlier, uh, about the only ones I know here, I think, are them. Um, But it's it's, uh, great to see them again. It's been about 25 years or so since I've seen them. And it's great to see them, to be with them. I have uh, good memories about that family. Um, going and and uh, going to their meetings and then them coming to ours, and Greg holding meetings for us. Uh, I remember those very vividly, and I appreciate that family very much, the Gwen family. and I certainly am uh, thankful to be able to meet you as well. In the Old Testament, names would play a vital role in the events that were happening at a particular time. For example, Isaac's name means laughter, and that's because God made Sarah laugh when he told her that she would conceive a child at such an old age as she was. And Jacob and Esau's names were important to who they were. Esau means hairy, and anybody who's been in Bible class knows that Esau was a hairy man. And Jacob is the one who was born after Esau, the second born, even though they were twins. And he evidently was holding the heel of his brother when they came out the womb. And his name means holding the heel. We as followers of Christ also have a name which we should call ourselves. We call ourselves Christians. And in fact, the name Christian is used three different times in the New Testament, and those verses are on your screen for you. No, they're not.
1: Did this not?
0: Okay. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I should have checked before I started. Okay. The first passage, which will be coming up soon, uh, Lord willing, is in uh, Acts chapter 11 and verse 26. And Acts chapter 11 and verse 26 is when um, Barnabas had gone to get Saul. Saul had, of course, been converted and he went back to his hometown and he had gone to Tarsus in order to get Saul. And when he went there and he got him, they went to... Antioch, and in Antioch it was uh, where, according to verse 26 of Acts chapter 11, when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Is it coming up? Okay, okay. Okay, there we go. See, I have have PowerPoint up here. The second time is in Acts chapter 26 and verse 28. And if you recall, in that passage, it's where Paul had been arrested. He was arrested in Jerusalem. And he had opportunity to talk to various leaders when he was there. One of the ones he talked to was King Agrippa. And when King Agrippa came to him in verse 27... Paul says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. And Agrippa responds to him in verse 28 by saying, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And so both of these passages show that the ones who were followers of Christ were called Christians. The ones who were assembled together at Antioch called themselves Christians. And the ones here uh, that Agrippa knows about called themselves Christians as well. And then the other passage, the third passage is in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 16. And in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 16, this is having to do with the fact that we as Christians sometimes must suffer. We have difficulty in our life. We have tribulation and persecution and such. And yet Peter says in 1 Peter 4 and verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Now, just because these are the only three passages that actually use the word Christian, that does not mean that that's the first time Christians existed, because even on Pentecost, when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, they were technically Christians. They were followers of Christ. And so, uh, this shows that they would eventually start calling themselves Christians and going by the name Christian, and it certainly gives us the authority to do so as well. We know that we are followers of Christ and we call ourselves by His name. However, not everyone who calls themselves a Christian truly is one. In fact, some people may call themselves by the name Christian And yet, in reality, they are hypocrites. They may pretend to be Christians when they are among other Christians, but they don't act like Christians when they're out in the world. Some may call themselves Christians, and yet they never act like one. They don't even pretend to. It doesn't matter who they're around. It doesn't matter what's going on in their life. They don't act like a Christian. And some may claim to be Christians, but then call themselves by other names. And in the religious world that we see today, we know that that's the case. There are those who claim to be Christians, and yet that's not what they will call themselves. If you ask them what they are, they will call themselves by some other name. And so our purpose today, what we're going to do in this lesson, is we're going to realize that there are names that we as Christians must not call ourselves. Second, we're going to find out the meaning of the word Christian. What does it mean? What does what do we get from that particular word? And the third thing we're going to do is learn what it takes for us to truly be Christians. We can call ourselves Christians all day long, but that doesn't really make us a Christian. What makes us a Christian? What is it that we must do to truly be a Christian? And so we're going to begin doing that by first of all looking and seeing that there are wrong names. There are names that honor men, for example. And these names that honor men, this isn't anything new. This is something that was going on during biblical times. And in fact, the Corinthians were condemned for doing this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 11 through 15. Instead of just calling themselves after Jesus Christ, the one who had come and died for their sins and who gave them the opportunity to be saved and to go to heaven, they were, be, they were following after men rather than Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 11 says, "...for it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul." Or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus, excuse me, Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name, he says. Now, the Corinthians were claiming to be followers of certain men. And this was causing division. For example, there was one group of Christians over here who were following after Paul. There was another group over here that was following after Apollos. One group that was following after Cephas or Peter. And one group who was claiming to follow Christ. And what Paul's point is here in 1 Corinthians is that none of these men are divided. You shouldn't be following after these men and doing as they say, because in reality they are all on the same team. They're not divided. It's not one group versus another group, or one group following one doctrine and another group following another doctrine. That's not the point. Paul explains that Christ is not divided, and all of these men who they claim to be following were all followers of Christ. But notice what's said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 3 through 4 about what Paul knows about the Corinthians because of the fact that they're divided and they're following after men. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3 says, For you are still carnal. And this is why. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? So one of the reasons that they're carnal is because there are divisions among them because they're following after men. Being carnal just simply is worldly. And these people were allowing their own ideas and beliefs to guide them instead of doing as the Lord says. And according to Romans chapter 8 and verse 6, we're told that uh, for to be carnally minded is death. And so that's what it would lead to. Being worldly, having that kind of attitude, it would lead to a spiritual death. So why would anyone think that if it was such a big deal to Paul, who was an inspired apostle, And he felt the need to preach this to the Corinthians through this letter. And it was so important for them to be together and not divided. If it was such a serious matter in the first century, why would anybody think that it is a matter of indifference today? And yet, what do we see? We see people in our world who are calling themselves after men instead of just calling themselves Christians. This is, for example, what the Lutherans do. The ones who call themselves Lutherans are calling themselves after Martin Luther. Even though Martin Luther didn't die for them, Martin Luther didn't provide for their salvation, he didn't give them the opportunity to go to heaven, and yet they call themselves after that man's name. Now, what's interesting about that is While we don't agree with the doctrine that Martin Luther taught, there's something that he taught that he said back then when he was living that is very true. And this is a direct quote from Martin Luther. He said, do not call yourselves Lutherans. And yet they did anyway. The ones who followed him who liked his doctrine would call themselves Lutherans, and he didn't want them to because to him, he was a Christian, he thought, and he was just going to follow after Christ and didn't want to be called uh, for anybody to call themselves after his name. This is also what the Calvinists do. Calvinists call themselves after a man by the name of John Calvin. And Calvinists follow the doctrine of John Calvin that he taught, the false doctrine. And so there are groups, and we know this, there are groups in our world that call themselves after men rather than just calling themselves Christians after Christ. But then there are also names that honor practices or doctrines. We must not call ourselves after the acts of worship that we do or the practices that we do. You know, just for a couple of examples of that, We know that according to the Scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we're commanded to give. We're supposed to lay by and store, to give of our means, and we do that every first day of the week. And yet, we don't go around and call ourselves givers or call ourselves contributors because we're not going to call ourselves after a practice or doctrine. We teach because the Bible tells us that we must repent We teach that repentance is necessary for salvation. Repentance is necessary for one before they become a Christian, and then after we're Christians, we're supposed to, when we sin again, change our mind that we're not going to sin anymore, uh, repenting. And yet, we don't call ourselves repenters. Now, these ideas may sound preposterous. We're not going to call ourselves givers or contributors or, or repenters. But isn't that what people do when they call themselves Baptists? Why do they call themselves Baptists? Well, there's only two reasons why they would call themselves Baptists. The first reason would be that they claim to be followers of John. There's a Bible character, as we're all aware, named John the Baptist. I like to call him John the Baptizer and John the baptizer prepared the way for the Lord before he came and began his ministry, are they calling themselves after that man? Well, if they do, then the problem is the names honoring men. They shouldn't be calling themselves after a man. But if they are calling themselves Baptists because it is after the practice of baptism, then that goes against the second point, the names honoring practices or doctrines, which we must not do. And so, either way, whichever it is, they should not be calling themselves that name. There are those who call themselves charismatics. And a charismatic is a false doctrine concerning the Holy Spirit. One who follows, uh, one who calls themselves charismatics, they believe that the Holy Spirit has imparted to them miraculous spiritual gifts. And we understand miraculous spiritual gifts have ceased, they've ended. According to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13, we see that the spiritual gifts that they had then have ceased. And so we understand then that we must not call ourselves after a practice or a false doctrine, which a false doctrine of being a charismatic, a false doctrine about the Holy Spirit, they shouldn't be calling themselves by that. And yet there are groups who do so. The Bible doesn't teach that we should ever call ourselves by the names of what we do. Because if it taught that, we could call ourselves many different things. We call ourselves, we do different things in our worship service. And so we could just pick one and say, we're going to call ourselves this. But no, we must not call ourselves by the things we do. Instead, of course, we must call ourselves Christians. And the reason we call ourselves Christians is because we follow Christ. It's just that simple. We are followers of Christ. We are disciples of Christ. We are His people. The um, meaning of the word is follower of Christ, according to Thayer. Vine defines it as adherent of Christ. A follower of Christ or adherent of Christ. And then we can also see um, how the name for a Christian in the Bible we often see as a disciple. And a disciple is, of course, a student. So if one is a disciple of Christ, then he is a student of Christ. And we know that there are those who sat at his feet. But in some languages, a disciple is known as a trailer. And a trailer is referring to a person who would follow behind. And so wherever this person went, the trailer was going to follow behind him and do as he did and use him as an example as how he should live. And so if we are disciples of Christ or we are Christians, then that means we are a trailer, we are a follower following behind Christ, looking to his example. And of course, we are shown to do that according to the Scriptures. So how are we going to use the name Christian? Well, the first thing we need to understand about that is there are no hyphenated Christians. And some people like to hyphenate it. They like to say, for example, that they're a Baptist Christian or a Methodist Christian or a conservative Christian or a liberal Christian or whatever title they want to put in there they will use that title and hyphenate it to Christian. But we have to understand that the Lord never did that. He never suffixed or prefixed the name Christian. Because when the Bible speaks of Christians, it speaks of those who wholly follow the Word of God. It speaks of those who have done what the Bible teaches is necessary for salvation and those who are living their lives in accordance to God's commands. And it's just that simple. Are we doing that? If we are, then we must uh, know that we are Christians. We are followers of Christ. But now that we understand what name we should call ourselves, let's notice the fact that there are those who are not Christians who claim to be Christians. Those who might use that name, but who truly are not Christians. And the first example of that are those who are not in God's family. Those who are not a part of the church are not Christians. Certainly one can call himself a Christian, but that doesn't make him one. You know, I can call myself Clint Eastwood if I want to. And I can tell everybody that I'm Clint Eastwood. I can fill out a paperwork and say that I'm Clint Eastwood. I can claim to be, I can dress like him, I can try to act like him, I can do all that, but that does not make me Clint Eastwood. There are those who steal names of others. And unfortunately, it's prevalent in our society. They find ways where they can steal someone's identity and they might cause much harm and loss to that individual. They might ruin that person's credit. could even cause them to be arrested for something that they didn't do. But even if they call themselves that and do all that damage, that doesn't make them that person. They pretend to be that person. They say they're that person, but they certainly are not. Abraham Lincoln used to ask people, if a cow's tail is called a leg, then how many legs does it have? And people would be quick to respond, well, that cow has five legs then. And Abraham Lincoln would say, no, the cow still has four legs. Just because you call the tail a leg doesn't make it a leg, it's a tail. And that's the same idea. You can call it yourself anything you want to call yourself. You can dress Like a person, you can act like a person, but that doesn't change who you are and make you that person. And so if one calls themselves a Christian and they haven't done what's necessary to become a Christian, then they only say they're that name but are not truly Christians. Well, the second thing we understand about the ones who are not Christians is not all good people are Christians morality is certainly required to be a Christian. We understand that. We have certain morals that the Bible lays out that we must follow. We have to act a certain way, live our lives a certain way, treat people a certain way, and that is commanded for us. But that alone does not make us a Christian. There's good people in this world. There's people who will do anything for you. There's people who will buy you groceries if you need it, who will bring you medicine if you need it, who will keep you company, whatever. There are good people in the world, but that does not make them Christians. You think, for example, about Nicodemus. Nicodemus is one who Jesus went to in John chapter 3, and he had the opportunity to talk to Nicodemus and to teach Nicodemus. And in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was a good man. But that wasn't good enough, and Jesus told him that wasn't good enough. He had to be born again to be right with the Lord. He had to be born of water and of the Spirit, we're told. Well, we notice Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, the one who Peter is going to go to and have opportunity to teach him and other Gentiles. He was a centurion and he was a good man. We read good things about this centurion. It says in verse 2 that he was a devout man. He was one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Now, in our society, if somebody looks at a man like that, they're going to say, that's a Christian man. That's a good person. He's giving money. He's devout. He's praying to God. He's a good person. But just because he did those things was not enough. He had to be taught by Peter the words that needed to be said for him to be saved. And in Acts chapter 11 and verse 14, we see that after Peter has converted him and other Gentiles. It says, when he's recounting the story, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. That means he wasn't saved before. He only became saved after he did what he was commanded to do by Peter. Well, third, not all religious people... I hit the wrong button. All right, not all religious people are Christians. There are, for example, those we read about in the Scriptures who were heathens. And heathens in Acts chapter 17 when uh, Paul traveled there, and of course he got to Athens and he saw all of these uh, idols and saw these temples that were dedicated to these false gods and such. It says in verse 16 of Acts chapter 17, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. And in verse 22, when he begins preaching because he saw this sin, it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. And so they showed that they were religious and that they worshipped something. They worshipped false gods. The problem was, of course, they were not worshipping the true and living God. And Peter goes, or Paul goes on and shows them, teaches them about the true and living God. But they were certainly religious, but they were still lost. And even Paul held to what was false. And back in Acts chapter 26 again, As he is telling his story, what had happened in his life, you remember that when he was Saul, he was one who persecuted Christians, who was involved with the others who were persecuting Christians, dragging them off to prison. He had letters that gave him permission to do such. But it says in Acts chapter 26, as Paul is recounting how he was in his past, that in verse 5, they knew me from the first if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee, it says. And then in verse 9, he says, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So he was religious. He just wasn't a follower of Christ. So he was not a Christian. We're told that there are two kinds of religion. There are pure and undefiled religion, we're told in James chapter 1 verses 26 through 27. Pure religion following Christ. Defiled religion following men. And then the last point, not all church members are Christians. One could come in this building and they could claim to be something that they're not. They could pretend to be something that they're not and you might believe that and you might accept them into the fold. And they might lead singing or they might give talks or they might lead prayers, but in reality, they're just tricking you. They're really not Christians. And so just because one joins or attends a church does not necessarily make one a Christian. And there are certainly those who attend the Church of Christ who are not Christians at all. They may have become Christians at one time, but they're not living like Christians anymore. And so that is certainly possible. Just because one is a part of a church does not necessarily mean they are Christians. So, who are Christians? Well, wearing the name Christian involves a life of duty to Christ. We have to be dedicated to Him. We have to have determined in our heart that we're going to serve Him, that we're going to follow His will. Just like wearing the name American. If we are Americans, then we have certain duties. We have the duty of upholding the Constitution, of obeying the laws, of displaying good citizenship. What do we call someone who disobeys its laws, the laws of this land, or who may disrespect the flag. Maybe they take the American flag and they throw it down and they stomp on it. What do we call people who are that way? Well, we often say that they are un-American. And so if we are Americans, then we're going to do as America shows us to do. We're going to follow its laws. We're going to treat the flag with respect, treat the president with respect, and So on and so forth. And so a Christian is the same way. If we claim to be Christians, then we must do the same thing. We must follow the laws that we've been given. Because a Christian is something that one is, not just something that one is called. We don't just say we're Christians just to say that, just because we're part of this congregation. We're Christians because we live the life of a Christian. We act like one. We don't uh, disobey our Lord. Now, certainly a Christian is one who has obeyed the gospel. And we know that the person who is in Christ, the one who is a part of Christ, is a Christian, and we're told how we can become a part of Christ in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter three, verses twenty six through twenty seven. Galatians 3, beginning in verse 26, says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so we're baptized into Christ and we put on Christ. We become a part of Christ. He is our head. We become a part of His body. We put Him on. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop when we become Christians, when we're baptized and we come up out of the water. We can't just say, well, my ticket's punched and and I'm a Christian and I'm going to be saved and that's all there is to it. There is more to it than that. And so, in as we conclude this lesson, what I want us to do is look at a few questions that we're going to ask ourselves to see if we are truly Christians. Now, as we do this, I don't want you to think about anybody but yourself. I don't want you to look at this point and say, oh, well, I know such and such person. They're not like this, so they're not living like a Christian. I want you to to think about it and apply it to yourself. How do you fit these points or do you fit these points at all? And the first thing that is the obvious question that we have to ask ourselves is, Have I obeyed the gospel? And we are told throughout the Scriptures what we must do in order to become a Christian. One place, when Peter was on Pentecost in Acts 2.38, when he said, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So we ask ourselves the question, Have we done that? Have we been baptized for the remission of our sins? As we've shown, one cannot be a Christian if he hasn't done that, or if she hasn't done that. And so that's pretty simple. We we should know whether or not we've been baptized for the remission of our sins or not. Now, if we've been baptized for some other reason, not for the remission of sins, maybe we were baptized to join a religious group or baptized for some other reason, but if you were baptized because you knew you were a sinner and you needed forgiveness and you were doing so, so you would be forgiven, then you have satisfied this point. But here's the second question. Did I obey the gospel from conviction or convenience? Why did I obey the gospel? Why did I become a Christian? Look with me in Romans chapter 6 and verse 17. In this discussion where um, Paul is showing how we... Uh, Take off the old man and put on the new man. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 17, it says, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed, look at that, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. That has to be from the heart. Did you obey the gospel from the heart? Did you obey the gospel because you truly wanted to be forgiven of your sins? Or did you obey the gospel for some other person? You know, I know, and you probably do too, instances where there are those who became Christians because their spouse would not marry them if they were not a Christian. And so they started going to church with them and they realized, well, this person's not going to marry me unless I become a Christian, so I'm going to go and I'm going to be baptized. And it's not because they really want to. It's not because they want to be forgiven. It's simply because they want to please someone else. Or did you become a Christian because you wanted to please your parents and that was the only reason? Or you wanted to please a friend or a preacher or whoever? Is that why you became a Christian or did you obey from the heart? Is it something that you truly wanted? Is it something that you desired for you? Because one can certainly come forward and get wet in baptism, but getting wet without conviction isn't going to do anyone any good. We don't get wet for anyone uh, but us, we have to truly desire it and want to be saved. Well now the third question we ask ourselves is, am I willing to suffer as a Christian? In the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 34, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 34, the Hebrew writer says, But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. These people, the audience that he's writing to here, is said to have suffered for the Lord. And we have other examples of that. We read about the Thessalonians in Acts chapter 17 and how they suffered and after they were converted, they had much persecution that arose there and then... Uh, they, They were, of course, praised for it later on when Paul wrote the letters to them. But one who's willing to suffer shows that they have deep conviction. You think about the apostles and how they were after Jesus was raised from the dead. They must have believed that He was raised. They must have believed that it wasn't some kind of scam that nobody came and stole the body of Jesus because they were willing to suffer for Him after that. We read about the apostles' suffering and we know historically how most of them were put to death and died for their belief. So we know that they had to have a deep conviction. If we're truly Christians and we truly desire Christ and we want to be a follower of Christ then we will be willing to suffer if necessary. People are going to persecute us. People are going to put us down. They're going to talk bad to us maybe because we're Christians. But we're going to be willing to put up with that because we truly desire Christ. Am I willing to suffer as a Christian? The next question we ask ourselves is, am I separated from the world in recreation, in language, in conduct, and in apparel. Do I look different? Do I act different? Or do I dress just like everybody else? Or do I talk like everybody else? Or do I act like everybody else? Am I different? Someone should be able to see us and recognize the fact that we're not like everybody else. We don't wear the same clothes. We don't use the same language. We don't act like they do. We act different. Do I look and act differently than those in the world? Around The next question we must ask is, am I devoted to Christ? Am I truly devoted to Him? Do I love my brethren or do I have no time for them? Do I attend the minimum number of services or the maximum number of services? Am I willing to give liberally of my means? Am I willing to sacrifice? Or do I just give as little as I'm able to get away with? What's our attitude? How how do we act as a Christian? Do we show our devotion to Him? Do we sing out? Do we sing loud? Are we happy to be here? Are we showing our, showing the Lord how much we love Him through the way that we worship Him? Or are we just kind of getting through and looking at the clock and hoping to get out of here as fast as we can? What's our attitude? Are we truly devoted? Am I truly interested in leading others to Christ? Now, that's a big one for me. It's it's difficult to go out and try to share the gospel and to try to get people to come and, and, and convert souls. That's a hard thing to do. It's hard for anybody to do. A preacher, an elder, a member, it doesn't matter who we are. It's difficult. But am I willing... To lead others to Christ? Do I want to lead others to Christ? Remember, Christ came to seek and to save the lost. And we're supposed to model ourselves after Him. Are we doing that? Are we following His example in that? Do I appreciate strong preaching? You know, there's a lot in our world today, unfortunately, who are preaching what we term soft sermons. And there's nothing wrong with a soft sermon. We need those sometimes. But they refuse to preach on things that might, uh, might strike a little bit of fear in somebody's heart or condemn someone. They don't want to upset anybody. They don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and such. Well, when you listen to the Word of God being taught and if someone says something that pricks your heart or where the preacher steps on your toes, Does that make you angry? Or are you thankful that he was willing to preach it for you? Galatians chapter 4 and verse 16. I love this passage about uh, what Paul says in regard to the people, his audience's attitude toward him. He says, Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And that's how I feel sometimes as a preacher. If somebody gets mad at the message, it's not me. They shouldn't be mad at me. It's God's Word. All the preacher is doing, all the teacher is doing, all the one who is having the Bible study with somebody else is doing is just showing them the Word of God. When you hear the Word of God, does it prick your hearts or does it anger you? What's my reaction when truth is taught that I don't want to hear? When it's something that I don't like, something that I haven't... I haven't heard that before. I've been taught differently than that. What's your reaction when you hear the truth? And then, I did it again. Am I growing in the faith? Am I growing in the faith? And this is the final one. Am I concerned about my spiritual development and that of my family? Do I want to grow? We must glorify God in what we do as Christians. Look with me in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. This passage shows us, as as Christians, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, what we should be adding to our faith. And this isn't something that we add to our faith and then we stop and we don't need to add it anymore. We are constantly, throughout our Christian lives, growing in these things and getting stronger in these things. He says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound You will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Why will we never stumble? Because we are constantly growing. The Bible condemns the fact, if we are Christians and we're going backwards, if we're backsliding or if we're remain, remaining where we are, if we're not growing, growth is something that we all should have constantly. It should never stop. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10-11 through 11 says, "...as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another." As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all this God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Glorify God in what you do as a Christian. Don't stop. Don't quit. Don't get to a certain point and say, well, I'm good enough. I've grown enough. Keep on working. Keep on striving to live faithfully. You know, when we leave this earth, it's not going to make any difference if we're rich or popular or athletic. None of that's going to make any difference. When the preacher is preaching your funeral. The only thing that you need to, of course, you're going to be gone, but the thing that you need to be working toward that's going to be said at your funeral is, was he or she a Christian? That's all that matters. It doesn't matter. It's not going to do any good. you any good if the preacher stands up there and says, he earned a billion dollars while he was on this earth. Or, look at all these athletic accomplishments he has. No, no, that's going to make any difference. The only thing that matters is whether or not you are a Christian. And not that you just call yourself a Christian. Not just that you put half-hearted effort into being a Christian. Or you just get by being a Christian and sit in the pews being a Christian. But that you act like a Christian in every aspect of your life. That's all that matters. And the question for you is whether or not you are really a Christian or you are just calling yourself a Christian. You can certainly become a Christian today by being baptized for the remission of your sins, by obeying the Gospel, repent of your sins, confess Christ, and be baptized for the remission of your sins. That will make you a Christian. But it doesn't stop. You must live a faithful life after that. You must strive each and every day to truly be a Christian. Work at it. Strive to do according to His will. And we hope that you'll do that. If you haven't become a child of God, become one. If you are a child of God, and you have sin in your life that you need to repent of, we want you to repent. We want you to pray to God and ask Him to forgive you. But if you need assistance in that, we hope that you'll come now while we stand and while we sing.